since I only found out I was preaching tonight, last night at 8 o'clock, never had a chance to put a title into the bulletin. But if there was one, I think I would call this Show Me Your Glory. It just strikes me that when Moses had a chance to ask God for something, what he wanted most was to see God's glory. Moses had a special appetite for God. In Exodus 32, Moses was on Mount Sinai and God was spending time, and it was weeks he was there. And I don't know all we, how long did it take us to read the Ten Commandments? Five minutes? Six minutes? So we know that whatever was taking place on the mountain was a lot more than God just dictating the ten words to him, as they're called in the Old Testament. But we also know that while Moses was on the mountain, there were things that were happening down on the plain. Aaron and the people, well, they were running amok. In Exodus 32, and we're going to be in Exodus 32, 33, and 34, so you won't have to shift around, but if you just want to listen, that's fine too. In Exodus 32, starting at verse 19, it says, so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, now God had told him, your people, your people, Moses, have gotten themselves into trouble. You need to go down. And so it picks up, he's come near the camp. He saw the calf, and he saw the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, he scattered it on the water, and he made the children of Israel drink. Moses was disturbed. He was angry. Here he came down and he finds a graven image. Now he had just received the Ten Commandments, hadn't even had a chance to share them with God's people. And what's the first, you know, the first two commandments involve not making idols of anything. And here they've got a golden calf. Now why a golden calf? In Israel's history, if you look at the, the way people worshipped Jehovah in the popular religion, on the high places, they often pictured Jehovah as having a wife, usually Ashtoreth, and they pictured him as a bull, a big brawny bull. Well, that's where calf comes in. When we think of making a golden calf, we think of, you know, like a little thing that stands about the size of a dog, you know, and oh, so what was wrong with making a golden calf? Well, God said you're not going to make anything 
image of anything and bow down to it. So right there was wrong. But equating God with a bull, that, that is a persistent sin that Israel is going to persist in. And so he comes down and he sees them. And what did they do? After they, they had this feast because they had this brand new spanking idol, they had a party. And they sat down and they ate and it says that they rose up to play. And uh, it was a licentious, sensual party, bacchanal, if you will, that was going on. And Moses was so angry that he threw the tablets down and broke them. And then he finds Aaron. And just a few verses later, he finds Aaron and he says, what were you thinking? What did you do? And here's how, what Aaron says. Aaron says, now don't be angry at me. You know this people, that they are evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. In other words, he's been gone a long time. We need something that we can follow. So make us, make us a god. Make us an idol. Make us something that we can focus on. So here's Aaron. Instead of saying, Moses, I sinned. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. Forgive me. He's saying, it's not really my fault. These people, they're just a bunch of sinners, and they made me do it. Well, Moses goes back up to God, and he prays. Moses, it says, um, just a few verses later, in about verse 26, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a gold, a God of gold. Now listen. When Aaron told Moses how bad the people's sin was, why did he do it? To escape blame. Moses comes and he talks about the people, but look at why he's doing it. He says, Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you've written. Lord, these people, they've sinned. They've sinned terribly. Can you find it in your heart to forgive them? And Lord, if you can't forgive them, you might as well kill me. Moses identified with his people. And this is why Moses is so clearly a type of Christ. Moses came down from the mountain that people were sinning. Jesus came down into this world 
walking with sinners, getting scorned by the Pharisees because he would go to dinner at their houses. And we know what happens at their dinner parties. But he goes there anyway. But here's Moses the same way. He is identifying with the people. Now therefore, blot me out of the book if you're not going to forgive them. So the Lord answered Moses. He said, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. Now, I'm not going to punish you for their sin. There will be one coming that I will do that. But that's not you, Moses. You've got your own problems. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I'll visit punishment upon them for their sins. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So I believe that if we read that, we have to understand that their time in the desert was harder than it needed to be because they had gone so far astray at the very beginning. Well, God commands Moses to continue his trip to, towards Canaan in chapter 33, starting at verse 1. He says, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I'll give it, and I'll send my angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's saying, get out of here, move, Go to the place that I've told you about. But there's one downside to his speech now. For he goes on and he says, For I will not go up in your midst. Take your people. Take your people, Moses. And you go up and I'll go ahead of you. But I cannot be in the midst of this people. Why? Well, he says, look, I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way. For you're a stiff-necked people. So God's telling them to go, leave this place. He'll go before them, but he's not going to be in their midst. And the people realized what was wrong. It says, when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. So at this point, Moses is going to do something radical. God's not going to come into their midst. Moses wants to have daily communion with God but he can't because if he's in the middle of the people God's not going to come to him and so he takes and he moves his tent outside of the camp and he moves it a long way outside of the camp and in Exodus 
33, starting about verse 7 or 8, it says, He took his tent and placed it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. Each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So when Moses would get up and move out, out of the city and go, he would get to the tabernacle of meeting and some things would happen. But people would know he was going. Moses is going out. Everybody would come out and look and watch what's going to happen. What's God going to tell them? It says in verse 9, it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. Now, I think there's more going on here than we usually picture the, by day, there was a pillar of what looked like smoke, clouds billowing up in a narrow column over top of Moses' tent. At nighttime, that pillar glowed with fire shot through the clouds so that it gave off light. It was like a giant streetlight for the whole camp. But when Moses would go out, and I don't think it was a matter of the, the pillar just moving 10 feet or so and dropping from shoulder height to ground level. I think when it says it came down, I think it came down. I think that the pillar condensed and coalesced until it shrunk down to someone the size of a human being. And we're told that Moses would stand there and speak to the pillar as a man would talk face to face with a friend. And so the Lord talked with Moses there at the door of the tabernacle. And the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as this man speaks to his friend. I think that's the most amazing line in everything that we see. Moses would talk. Now, we know from the Apostle John in the prologue to John's Gospel, who was Moses talking to. The Apostle John says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, He has revealed Him. I think that we can make a case that whenever something like this happens in the Old Testament and somebody stands there and is talking face to face with God, we have an example of a pre incarnate 
appearance of the second person of the Trinity. God the Son standing there. It's not God the Father he was talking to, but that was God the Son's job was to reveal the presence of God. Um, So, there he was. He's talking face to face with God. And all the people are amazed. And when he would come back to camp, the pillar would grow, it would take its place over the tent, but there was one person, there was one person who would stay in the tent. He stayed there as long as he could. You know who that was? Joshua. Yep. Joshua liked to hang out where God met Moses. I think that was Joshua's greatest, greatest qualification to be Moses' successor, is that he loved to be where God visited man. Well, Moses, even though he had these opportunities to talk to God face to face, Moses had a desire to know God better. And so he asked God if he would give him a better understanding of his character. I think this is actually a very important point because God's character is going to be the main theme that God is going to expound when he reveals his glory to Moses. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by, my name, by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. He said, you say I've found grace and favor. I want more. I want more of you. I want to know you better. I want to know you more completely. I want to know more about you. I want to know what you like. I want to know you. I think that's one of the most genuine attributes of someone who has come into a relationship with Jesus. We become insatiable for him. We want more. A little is never enough. Well, God was happy to give Moses what he asked. And in Verse 17 of chapter 33, he says, I will do this thing that you've asked, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Now what's really interesting, when, when the Jewish people translated the Old Testament into the Greek language, about 200 years, 300 years before the time of Jesus. When they translated this verse, they translated um, show me 
yourself. They understood somehow that asking to see God's glory, Moses was asking to see him more clearly. Now I think the really exciting part comes next. He says, okay, tomorrow have everybody, you know, have everybody ready. And he gave him a certain list of requirements. He says, and set a guard so that nobody can come up to the mountain because when I come down, my holiness is going to be revealed. And so Moses is on the mountain. And this is uh, in Exodus 34. <clears throat> the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. I think I see the Trinity here. It's not clear, but I think that we've got this picture of someone who owns the name of Jehovah to describe themselves. That's when it says the Lord, that's what it's saying. Jehovah came down and stood with him on the mountain and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Jehovah's glory passed by him proclaiming the glory of the Lord and a voice from heaven much like when Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved son. And so we've got all these witnesses to God's glory and there's Moses. And what is God saying to him? The Lord. I'm going to use his name because that's whenever you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, it's really the name. And I'm going to use Jehovah because, well, we're not sure how it was pronounced because of the superstitiousness of the Jewish people. Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And so God says to Moses, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of Jehovah. For it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. And so God agrees to go up with them. And in order for him to come among their presence, he's going to give explicit instructions to build a tabernacle, not like the tent outside of the camp, but one fraught with symbolism about God's character, 
where they could put the Ark of the Covenant. One of the things that we see in this is that the more Moses saw and learned about God, the more he wanted to see and know. I think that's true whenever we come to have an experience of God's power and presence in our life, how can we not ask for more? There are times that it may be frightening. I mean, face it. He's holy and we're not. And sometimes when he comes, he comes with horrible conviction. But that conviction passes because he is merciful and forgives. And the more we taste the more we see how much more we want to know him. I pray that the one thing that Moses will mean to all of us as we read our Bibles is that he will be an example for a person who has a genuine, deep appetite for God. Let's pray. Father, we can only imagine what it must have been like to stand on the mountain, to feel the wind of the theophany, your storm cloud whipping up all the particles of dust and gravel, to feel the shaking earthquake of the boom of your voice, to see the lightnings and thundering as you passed by and revealed your glory. We thank you for Jesus every time we think about this. That if we need to think now about you, we think about him. The very God of very God begotten before all worlds, begotten, not made, being of one substance with you, he came down and showed us your character in an unmistakable, indisputable demonstration of love. Father, as we are in this season between the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, help us to remember that you did everything. You purchased our salvation with the death of your Son. You pour out your Spirit that we might be able to preach his love to the nations. Father, we thank you that you've made all these great efforts on reconciling sinful man, undeserving, back into your family, bringing peace, creating fellowship. You are so good. Grant that we might grow in grace as we think about
the lessons from Moses and remember how you went one step farther when Jesus became man and suffered in our place. We can only say with one of the hymn writers, hallelujah, what a savior. Thank you, Father. And we give you this praise in his name.